Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so we are starting a new series in the book of Daniel. And to be 100% uh, transparent here, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do for chapter 7 through 12, where there's all the dreams of the dreams that Daniel has. And if you are familiar with the book of Daniel, you probably know what I mean by I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's a lot of dreams and imagery and, and really difficult stuff. But my, my, I guess my stance on it right now is we will cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, we will either decide to actually cross the bridge or maybe save it for another time. But I am really excited to, uh, to study the first six chapters of Daniel. And um, it's a great book. And one of the reasons why I'm excited to speak on Daniel is because I think that this book provides us with a really helpful worldview uh, for how to live in exile, for how to live in a society or a culture or a country or a nation that does not fear and honor God. That, I mean, that is exactly what, what happened to Daniel and his friends, right? They were taken from their land. They were taken from the land of Israel and they were brought into Babylon. They had to figure out how to live in Babylon in a society that was completely pagan and hostile to, to God, to the God of Israel. And so I think this is extremely important for us because we are exiles. We live in, in, we live in this world and this world is not our home, right? Yes, we, we absolutely believe and proclaim that Jesus is Lord of everything, but we hold that in balance with the idea that this world, it still lies in the power of the evil one, as John writes in 1 John 5, 5, uh, 5 16, I think, um, and so I think that this book is going to be really helpful for us just in thinking, okay, how do we live in a society that is hostile to God? How do we live faithfully? How do we live wisely as, uh, as exiles? So um, let's pray and then we will read chapter one. God, we thank you for this opportunity to learn from you, to learn from your word. Thank you for the book of Daniel. Thank you for the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends. And thank you that we have that recorded as an example for us, as instruction for us. I pray that our study in the book of Daniel would be very profitable for all of us, that your Holy Spirit would would work in us. That we would grow in faithfulness, in fear of you, love of you. That we would grow in wisdom, in knowing how to walk, how to live in this society that is more and more hostile to you and to your followers. 
Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were in that the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths be who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So the point of this story, of course, is kids eat your vegetables, right? No, that is not the point of the story. Although kids do eat your vegetables, they're good for you. But that is not the point of the story. Um, here we see Daniel, friends, right? They are, they are taken away from their land. They're taken away from the land of Israel, from Jerusalem. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city and he brings Daniel and his friends to Babylon. And so this is the beginning of a beautiful, incredible story of faithfulness, right? Daniel is one of the greatest heroes of the faith. Right? In fact, he's one of the few people, one of the few heroes of the faith of whom nothing bad is said. Right? If you think about it, there are other heroes of the faith like David and other guys. And as, you know, as, as much as we you know, admire the things that God did through them and their faithfulness to God, we are very aware of their downfalls as well, of their, of their, you know, of their failures. And the thing with Daniel is that we don't know anything bad about him, right? That is not to say that Daniel, you know, was sinless or anything like that. That is absolutely not what we're saying here. But Daniel is just such a great example of faithfulness to God. And I would like to argue that here, chapter one is where we, where, let me rephrase that. I would like to argue that the reason why Daniel is such a great example of faithfulness is because of the decision that he and his friends made here in chapter one. What do I mean by that? If Daniel would have compromised, if Daniel would have said, you know what, I'm away from home and this bacon and, and pork just smells incredibly good and this wine is just so red and delicious and I think I'm just gonna compromise and eat and drink the things that God told us not to eat and drink, then we wouldn't have a book of Daniel, right? As simple as that. There would be no book of Daniel because we wouldn't have this example of faithfulness. But fortunately, and by God's grace and in his, in his sovereignty, we do have a book of Daniel. We have a book where we are told several stories of Daniel and his friends' faithfulness. And ultimately, we are told stories about the supremacy of God. That's make no mistake. The point of the book of Daniel is not that we look at Daniel and say, wow, he is so great. The point of the book of Daniel is that we look at God and say, wow, he is so great. And he is king over everything. That's one of the things, one of the main themes that we are going to see in this book is that God is king, not man. God is the one who removes kings. He is the one who sets up kings. and so. That is the, the entire point of this book. But again, it also serves as, as a really good guideline or, or, or handbook for living faithfully and wisely in exile. So here are four things that I think Daniel and his friends understood 
And I think that these are four things that we need to understand as well if we want to live faithfully and wisely in exile. The first thing is that Daniel understood that God is sovereign. He understood the sovereignty of God. The book opens telling us the story of how uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, he comes to Jerusalem, he besieged the city, and he, you know, he is successful. But notice here the two agents at play, right? On the one hand, we have Nebuchadnezzar, who out of his own, you know, will and his own volition, he went and invaded Jerusalem. We are told, right, in, in verse one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But then immediately after that, we are told that God was in control of this. Verse two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. One of the things that Daniel understood and one of the things that we need to understand is that God is sovereignly ruling over human history. We as humans, yes, we are free agents and we do things and we are responsible for the decisions that we make, but we need to understand that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that not a nation rises or falls without God's, without God allowing that to happen and sovereignly ruling that. Not a king is appointed, not a president is elected, not a governor is elected or, or uh, ceases to be governor or president without God being in perfect control, right? That, that's one of the book of Daniel makes. In chapter two, verse 21, Daniel says of God, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is in control of history. And we need to understand that because if we fail to understand that God is in control, then we will be consumed with fear, with anxiety, with worry, with stress, with despair. Right? If we look at the way that the world is right now, if we look at everything that is wrong with the world, which is a lot, and we don't have any explain how all of these things are happening or any confidence that God is in control, then we're going to be driven to fear, despair. We're going to be driven to trusting other, you know, other things. We're going to be driven to trust other forms of power, right? If government is the most powerful thing for us, then we're going to start looking for a different kind of government or something else that will bring us comfort. But if we understand that God is the one who is in perfect control, then we do not have to fear. That's, you know, that's the big picture. That's God is in control of the big things, right? Government, world government, world events, world history. But we're also reminded that God is in control of the little things, right? God knows the number of hairs we have on our head. Some of us less than others. God, no, there's not a single bird from the sky without God knowing, without God's permissive knowledge of that event happening. And so if God is in control of the big things of government and world and everything, and God is in control of the little things, 
then we have confidence that God is in control of our lives. God is in control of our individual circumstances, right? Some of us might be worried about the direction that the world is going. Some of us maybe have more local concerns and we're just worried about the direction my marriage is going or the direction my, my family is going, the direction things are going at work or the most recent sickness that my child is going through or whatever it is. You know, a sick family member or, or you yourself are, you know, have some illness, whatever issue, problem that we have, the one thing that will help us to not fall into fear, anxiety, despair, worry, is to know that God is in control of that thing. God is in control of our circumstances. Daniel knew that if he was in a foreign land, it was because of the hand of the Lord. He knew that there was nothing either accidental or incidental in the life of the children of God. Daniel and his friends understood that they were in Babylon, not by a mistake. It was God's plan that they would be in Babylon at that time. In fact, God prophesied that they, or God predicted that they would go to Babylon or that they would be taken by a foreign nation as early as in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, God is talking to Moses and he tells Moses, you guys are going to be unfaithful to me and you're going to be taken by a foreign nation and you're going to spend some time there and then I'm going to go and I'm going to deliver you. And I think that Daniel was able to remember those things and say, this is something that was predicted. And the fact that we are here in Babylon is because of God's sovereignty and because of his will. So that's the first thing he understood. And the first thing we need to understand that God is sovereign. The second thing that Daniel understood and we need to understand is that he was in a foreign land. He was in a place that was hostile to God. Notice how the, the, the goal of Nebuchadnezzar was to, um, it, it was for these, for these men to be absorbed into the Babylonian culture. Right? The goal was that these guys would be indoctrinated to become like, you know, like a regular Babylonian. They were, taken, they were taken away from their homeland. They were taken away from their family, from their, you know, the place of their religion, of their God. And they were brought into this foreign land and they were given the king's food. They were educated, right? In the Babylonian system of education, they were educated for three years and they were even given pagan names. Their names were changed because the whole goal was for them to be indoctrinated and to be ultimately absorbed into the culture of Babylon. It is interesting about their names. They, they, their original names are names that praise God, names that praise the Lord, and the names that they're given are idolatrous names, pagan names. So Daniel's name means God is my judge. So every time you, you see that L particle in a Hebrew name, it's talking about Elohim. It's talking about the God of Israel. And so the name of Daniel, Daniel, means God is my judge. But instead he was given the name Belteshazzar, which means Baal 
protects his life. So the name of God was completely erased and he was given the name of a, of a, of a Babylonian God. And his name now said that, that Baal was the one who protected his life, supposedly. Hananiah. Every time you hear that Yah in a Hebrew name, it's talking about Yahweh, the Lord. Hananiah's name means Yahweh has been gracious. And he was given the name Shadrach, which means command of Aku. And Aku was the moon god of the Babylonian. Mishael, his name means who is what God is. So in other words, in other words, who, who is there like God, like Elohim? Now here, the Babylonians didn't, didn't go too far. The name is pretty similar. They just changed the name of the, of the deity. His name was Mishael, and they, and they named him Meshach, which means who is what Aku is. So again, this, this God of the moon. And then Azariah means Yahweh helped. And he was given the name Abednego, which means a servant of the god Nebo or Nego. Um, so again, these were clearly idolatrous names. They were daily reminded of the fact that they were no longer in Israel. They were daily reminded of the fact that they were in a foreign land. They were daily reminded of the fact that the, the, the purpose of Nebuchadnezzar, the purpose of Babylon, they would be absorbed into this culture, that they would be indoctrinated into this culture. And I think they were very aware of that. And if we want to live faithfully and wisely as exiles, we also need to be very, very aware that the world is trying to indoctrinate us. We need to be very, very aware that, as I quoted earlier in 1 John 5, 19, John writes, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We need to be very aware that there is no neutrality. You are either being educated by God. You are either filling your mind and your heart with God and his knowledge and his will, or the world is educating you, indoctrinating you, catechizing you. Now, this is not to say that every single institution that is in the world or every single person that is in the world is as evil as they could possibly be. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that since Satan has this amount of power that happens to him, he will do whatever he can to influence institutions and people in order to get more and more people to adapt to the culture of Babylon, which is hostile to God. And so I think this is extremely important for all of us. For example, for us as parents, we need to realize that the world that Satan is trying to indoctrinate our children. And this happens through the shows that, they that we let them watch. This happens through the media that we let them consume. The, the, you know, sometimes even the friends that they hang out with. We, we need to be very aware of these things as parents. Let me give you a sad example. I've heard of, uh, several times now, actually, that, you know, these Christian parents are, are grieving because their teenage boy or girl decided to come out of the closet and basically adopt, you know, an, a new identity that, that, 
you know, was not the one that God gave her. And so one of the things that these parents do once they find out that their daughter, you know, came out of the closet is all of a sudden they, they take away their phone and they restrict the access to the internet that they had and they don't let them watch TV anymore and they pull them out of public school. And I can't help but think, why wait until your child is completely indoctrinated by the world to start doing these things? If they would have, if, if the parents would have been proactive and, and, and been careful with the things that their kid was watching and listening and being indoctrinated with, I think they would have had a better chance at fighting against this. And so parents, we need to be, we, we cannot be naive into thinking that there is neutrality out there. Satan is trying to indoctrinate us. We are living in a foreign nation. And now this is also for, for us, for, for us as adults, right? We can say, okay, we need to be careful with the things that we're you know, doing with our kids, but we need to be careful ourselves. We need to remember that we ourselves are weak and Satan is trying to get us to conform culture as well. And so we need to be extremely careful. We need to feed our minds with the word of God, feed our hearts with the word of God. We need to rehearse the truths of the gospel as we sing, as we pray to God, as we speak to one another. Daniel, he is the reason why he was thrown into the lion's den was because he continued to pray towards Jerusalem, right? He continued to pray to God, even when it was forbidden for him to pray to anything else but King Cyrus, he remained faithful and continued to pray to God. And so we need to remain faithful ourselves. And even if, you know, the world is rampant and, and as, as, you know, as, intense as it gets in, in trying to conform us to its image, we need to remain faithful like Daniel. All right, so that's the second thing that he knew. He, number one, he knew that God is sovereign. Number two, he knew that he was in a foreign nation. Number three, he understood who God is and what God wants. He understood who God is and he understood the will of God. Daniel's incredible story of faithfulness begins with a seemingly small act of integrity, right? In verse eight, we have that contrast right there. Verse eight, they were given foreign names. They were given pagan names, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So what was the deal here? Was it wrong? Like, is, is certain kind of food bad and certain kind of food good? good or, or what was the deal? Well, the deal is that the people of Israel had been given loss by God about the food that they ate. They had been given strict laws about what, what meat they could have and what meat they couldn't have and what types of drinks they could have, what types of drinks they couldn't have. Not because these, these uh, or this food that was forbidden from them was intrinsically evil, but God 
was providing a way for the people of Israel to remain distinct and separate from the nations around them. And so God in his will, in his infinite knowledge, forbade the people of Israel from eating these things. And so the, the, you know, the assumption here is that the food that the king was giving them was food that was unclean according to God's law, according to God's ceremonial laws. And Daniel knew God and Daniel knew the law of God. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with this food. He knew that if he ate the food, he would defile himself. He knew that he would be in disobedience against God. I think this is the key moment for Daniel and his friends. If they say, you know what? We're in Babylon. We're no longer in Israel. Forget about it. Well, let's just eat this food. It looks, it looks great. Smells great. Let's just eat it. But Daniel knew the Lord. And he made a conscious decision to be faithful to God. And God honored that resolve to be faithful. And he gave him grace. He gave him favor and compassion. Verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I love this phrase. This is a phrase that you find often in, in, in scripture. And God gave so-and-so favor in the sight of so-and-so. This is one of, this is one of the things I pray uh, uh, pretty often. Whenever I'm about to have an important meeting, whenever I'm going to go, you know, communicate something to someone. I think I might have prayed this when I was, when I was going to meet with Elena's dad. Not that Elena's dad was, you know, a, a, a bad person or anything like that. But hey, God, will you please give me favor in the sight of my father-in-law to be? Of course, that was not how I worded the, 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 the prayer. But God gave favor to Daniel in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. We are so dependent on God, right? We, we, need to, we need to resolve to obey God, to obey his word. And we need to trust that God is the one who will give us favor, right? So whether it's, you know, maybe having a conversation with your employer, asking, asking them, you know, to give you the day off on Sunday because that's the day that you go and worship with your, with your church family. Maybe you can pray for that. You can pray for favor in the sight of your employer. Or you can pray for uh, favor in the sight of your neighbors whom you've been preaching the gospel to. Or, you know, there are so many different circumstances, but we need God's favor. And we need to trust that we, if we resolve like Daniel, not to defile ourselves, not to disobey God, not to go against God's commands, he will reward that. I think the reason why Daniel was faithful to God was ultimately because he understood the gospel. And I, you know, I don't mean 
the God, that he understood that Jesus died for his sins because obviously Jesus hadn't died. He didn't even know who Jesus was. But he understood who God was and what God had done. And I mean, even just in the names of his friends, he had, a, he had an outline of the gospel, right? Uh, Mishael, who is what God is. So he knew right there from the name of his friend that there is no other God like the God of Israel. He knew that God was, or, or no other God was comparable to the God of Israel. Daniel, God is my judge. He knew right there that this God, this infinite God of Israel, he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the judge of everyone. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. He knew that this incomparable God who judges everyone is a gracious God. And then Azariah, Yahweh helped. He knew the history of Israel. He knew of all the times that God had come to the rescue of his people. He knew of all the times that, that the Lord had delivered his people. And so he was faithful to God. He was obedient to God, not because he had a very strong will or, you know, because he, he had a, a, a great willpower. He was faithful because he understood the gospel. He understood that God is God alone, that God is a judge, that God is gracious, and that God is a helper. Think about the time when God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel in Exodus 20. What does God tell the people of Israel before giving them the commands? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And then he goes on with the 10 commandments. So right there, God, before giving them, before requiring a bunch of things from them, he is reminding them the things that he has done for them. He is reminding them that he delivered them from Egypt. He delivered them from their slavery. And I believe that that's what Daniel Understood. He understood what God had done for him and for the people of Israel, and he resolved that he would not defile himself. He resolved that he would obey God. And so the same is true for us. If we want to be faithful to God, if we want to obey God's commands, it's going to take a lot more than just willpower to, be faith, to remain faithful to God. Nothing else will motivate you to obey God and to remain faithful like the gospel will. Nothing else will motivate you to obey him, to abstain from sin, if you do not understand what God has done for you. And if you are struggling with sin in your life, if you are struggling with unfaithfulness in your life, maybe it is because you do not understand the gospel, because you have not meditated on the gospel enough. But when you realize that God is incredibly gracious and merciful and he sent his son Jesus to save you from slavery, to give you a new life, to justify you because of the work of Jesus, that is the motivation that you need to be faithful 
to God. That is the power that you need to be faithful to God. One more thing before we, we move to the last point is that, you know, as I was reading, as I was reading this chapter, one thing keep, kept getting my attention, which was the vessels. Why, why did, you know, why did he bother to put right there the vessels? What's the point with the vessels? And, and you know, the vessels will actually show up later with, with Nebuchadnezzar's son. But one of the things that I, that I started thinking about, and I'm not ready to, you know, make a, a whole theology out of this, but this is just kind of, I've been pondering. Uh, vessel, a lot of the times in scripture, is used of someone's body, right? Of a person's body, a person's vessel. And so if you think about it, Nebuchadnezzar not, not only was delivered, uh, uh, Jehoiakim into his hand, and not only was he delivered, the vessels of the temple into his hand, but he was delivered Daniel and his friends, right? Daniel and his friends, they were delivered into Babylon. They were, they were there. And this made me think of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul talks to Timothy about vessels. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so it's, it's you know, what I've been arguing from, from, from the beginning that the reason why we have a book of Daniel is because Daniel and his friends, they determined, they resolved to keep their vessels undefiled, right? They determined, they resolved to remain faithful to God and they were used by God for an honorable use, right? As vessels for an honorable use. And so if you want to be used by God, right? Who doesn't want to be used by God? I want to be used by God. I don't know about you. I hope you do. Well, one key thing about being used by God is getting, getting rid of the things that are dishonorable. The, uh, 2 Timothy 2.20 continues, or 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to be used by God, then... You need to work on keeping your vessel undefiled, your vessel clean. And again, the motivation for this is ultimately the gospel. All right, the last thing that Daniel understood and that we need to understand if we want to live faithfully and wisely in exile is that ultimately God is the one who gives us understanding. In verse 17, we read, you know, after, after they are tested and they turn out to be healthier than all the other guys, we are told in verse 17 that as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And then in verse 20, we are told that the king found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. 
Daniel himself is the first one to acknowledge that the wisdom that he has is not his own, right? When he, in, in chapter two, when he comes to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he tells him, it's, it's not me, it's not my wisdom. God didn't reveal this to me because I'm super wise and smart and clever. He says, God is the one who reveals mysteries. God is the one who gives wisdom. And brothers and sisters, living in exile requires a lot of wisdom because we are going to be facing things that we have never faced before. We're going to have to make decisions about maybe what battles we fight. I mean, one, one, you know, just a quick reflection. I'm not making any conclusions here, but it is interesting to me that Daniel and his friends do not fight about the names that they were given, right? They decide to remain faithful to, 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 they are resolved to not defile themselves with the, with the food, but they don't necessarily say anything about the names that they were given. So again, that's just me, you know, pondering, thinking aloud. But my point here is that we need God's wisdom. If we want to live faithfully in exile, we need God's wisdom. And we need to understand that ultimately he is the one that gives us understanding. In James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give you, you know, I'm just, I'm misquoting that. Let me look it up real quick. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If we lack wisdom, and I mean, I think all of us should be very quick to recognize that, that we lack wisdom. We need to come to God and ask for wisdom and he will give it to us. We need wisdom if we want to know how to live in exile. I want to finish by reading Philippians 2. The reason I want to read, I want to read Philippians 2 is because here we have the greatest example of the one who lived faithfully and wisely here on earth. And just like, you know, Daniel was exalted to the, to the court and to the, to the king's palace. In Philippians, we have a, an even greater exaltation. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, you are Lord, you are our King, and we praise you, we give you glory for that. God, we pray that you give us wisdom, that you give us favor in the sight of the people around us. We pray that we would be able to live in faithfulness, even in the midst of persecution, hostility, opposition. Please help us to remember what you have done for us so that we would be obedient and faithful to you, God. Thank you that you are in sovereign control of everything, of all of our circumstances. Thank you that we can trust you because you are a good God. There is no God like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.